So let me ask you a question. Do you want to be saved by God? Do you want to be saved by God? Do you want your children to be saved by God? I take it that Alta and Andrew want Adley to be saved by God. Well, let me start off with an introduction that actually I hadn't charted for our video team, so you're not going to see any of this on, on the scripture notes, but I can just tell you this. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So let me clarify a couple things on that now. Hearing doesn't just mean an auditory faculty. You could transport me right now uh, to Korea to hear a concert sung in the Korean language, and I have to confess to you, I don't speak any Korean at all. I would be hearing <laughs> the words, but, but I wouldn't be understanding or really receiving the words. Now, you can take a less extreme example and say, there are people who go to a lecture and fall asleep all during the lecture, or who are thinking about what they're gonna eat for dinner. Uh, are they really hearing the lecture? No, no way. There are people who come to church who are thinking about uh, what they're gonna have for lunch, or nodding off, or worrying about their children too much. I mean, it's, good to, it's good to be concerned about your children, but it, it's bad to be worried about them too much while God is speaking to you. So th there, this word, in the Bible, hearing means to actually, not one ear and out the other, it's actually to receive, number one. But on top of that, it means to hearken to, to follow, to obey. We still use that kind of terminology sometimes in English when we say, no, 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 I really want you to hear me. That means I really want you to actually pay attention and do what I'm telling you to do. Hearing, faith which is the way that God saves us, we're saved by grace through faith, comes by hearing, hearing by the word. The word, the word, and ultimately the word made flesh, Jesus. And Paul goes on to say the word of Christ. So he's talking about the fact that, you know, this is one unified message to us, all 66 books here pointing to Christ as our savior, pointing for us to know and to actually hear and follow Jesus, which is what the father, of course, says at the transfiguration. He says it to, to Peter, James, and John, Okuate altu, hear him, listen to him. Shut up, Peter, <laughs> and pay attention to him. Stop trying to push your own ideas Onto my son. This is my son, the beloved, the chosen one. Listen to him. So hearing the word of Christ. So how do we get to that? How do we get to that? Well, in John's gospel, in John's gospel, Jesus speaks about being taught by God himself. And this is over in John chapter 6. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, Jesus says, 
and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Let me repeat that. Jesus says, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's what Romans 10:17 is talking about. That's what the Father is talking about in the transfiguration, the voice from heaven. And it, it centers into here. And here's my point for you today. I was kind of reading this in a devotional, this my own devotional. I wasn't reading in a book. I was just doing scripture study this morning. And, and this really struck me. So what does Jesus mean in the prophets? Well, guess what? Jesus is taking us back over once again to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which I'm going to be talking about today and which I'm talking about to you this year as being the centering directive book in all of the scripture. Isaiah is indispensable. Isaiah is indispensable. So what is Jesus saying? Which prophets is he talking about centrally? He's talking about this, Isaiah 54, 13. Again, I was just doing a little scripture study this morning, and this really struck me. It ties directly to the baptism and all of you who are parents. 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. You hear Jesus is referring to this passage over in John. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. That's how you're saved. That's it. Those verses that I just gave you, those are all connected. And Jesus is referring back to Isaiah 54, 13. At the heart of the second portion of Isaiah's great book, right there, right after the suffering servant 52, 53, we get this passage. And it's the key to how your children and how you can be saved by hearing the word of Christ taught directly by God when the Father calls you to know the Son. Which brings us back to today's sermon. Isaiah, indispensable. Isaiah is not optional. Isaiah, indispensable. Isaiah is the key guide to our Bible, faith, and future. That's the title of the sermon today. I'm wrapping up a couple months of introduction of the book of Isaiah. We've already covered quite a bit of Isaiah, and then we're going to work our way through in coming months. We focused a lot on Isaiah chapter 6, and then we've looked at some other passages. Uh, today, we're actually going to be turning to passages from the New Testament, at least doing a few whatever I can cover in the time that we have today, and just drawing your attention to these. Let me begin by going back to where we started, back in the first Sunday of January. Let me remind you that, as I told you, Isaiah is commonly referred to as the fifth gospel fifth gospel. However, I refer to Isaiah as the first gospel of the five gospels. There's Isaiah, and then there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Isaiah is written, at least the sourcing of it, 
is 750 years before the gospel, so I think we ought to say it's the first of the five gospels. Now, let me just say this. A lot of times folks will ask me, and this is a really good question. Look, I want to start reading the Bible more and actually understanding the Bible. Um, and I'll say, great, come to our Bible studies, or if you can't be in person, watch it online or go back and listen to the podcast or the video recorded on Wednesday night. Come to the Tuesday morning men's study. Come to the Thursday afternoon women's Bible study. When we open back up Sunday school, start coming to Sunday school. And sometimes people will say, yes, I'm, I want to do all that, but I'd like to read it. I'm a reader. And I'll say, great, you're a reader. And they'll say, so could you give me your top recommended book as a guide to the Bible? And here's my answer. This, Scripture interprets Scripture, and Scripture is the essential guide, the indispensable guide to the Scripture. However, I get it. This is a really big book, and you start reading certain portions of this, and you're saying, what is going on here? I don't understand all these names, these terms, and I don't understand what God is saying here because God is a little bit confusing to me on the face of it. So here's my drill-down answer. We're focusing on it this year. Start with Isaiah. Definitely read the New Testament. Definitely read the Gospels. But if you want the Axis key directive book in all of the Scripture, I would suggest to you, you can't get any better than Isaiah. Isaiah. And let's just talk about some surface-level things right now. I've got the easiest question ever for anybody who's at all at least beyond being a baby Christian, or even anybody who's interested in the Bible. How many books are there in the standard Bible that we use? How many books? Hmm? Right? 66, right? So how many in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New Testament? 27. Guess how Isaiah is divided. I mean, the most obvious division of Isaiah. I've told you this. My favorite commentator is a little bit different than this, but the standard, like overwhelming 99% will say Isaiah 1 through 39 is dealing with former things and dealing with basically looking at the fall of the Davidic line, Jerusalem, Israel before that, the northern kingdom. So 1 through 39 of Isaiah is very much like the Old Testament. Do you get it? How many books are there in the Old Testament? 39. You read Isaiah 1 through 39, you're basically dealing with the story of failure, promise, judgment, but also promise beyond the judgment. There's a lot of judgment and some grace flashes in the midst of it. It's very much like the whole Old Testament, and it circles you back around Isaiah 1 through 39, the story of what was actually happening and how the Old Testament shakes out, okay? Now, let me just clarify for you. Isaiah didn't write his book, or his book and his prophecies were not compiled on our chapter notation that we use now. Those developed in the medieval times, okay? So, this is not, I'm not saying this in a sense literally, but the chapters, as they have been divided, do make sense with the flow of Isaiah. And in a broad sense, you can remember that. So how many books in the Old Testament? 
39. Isaiah 1 through 39, you track like what happened in the Old Testament, what happened with Israel, and how do we begin to get these flashes of the possibility of somehow God being delivered to us in a baby, a child who is born to us, and something about Galilee and the light to the nations. I just paraphrased from you from Isaiah chapter 9. It's, it's, it's there in the Old Testament, so to speak, part of Isaiah, Isaiah 1 through 39. You get to Isaiah, four, how many books in the New Testament? 27. So guess what? 40 through 66. You, you following along with me here? And, and you get all the way through. And guess what the central, pivotal thing is in the entire New Testament? And guess what the central, pivotal thing in the entire second part of Isaiah is? It's right there in the middle. 52 and 53, unique, unique revelation in the Old Testament. That the servant of the Lord, the faithful servant of the Lord, will die for our sins. The one who is God with us, God himself, will deal with the justice that the judgment and justice of God demands that injustice and sin be dealt with, and at the same time have innumerable offspring forever and ever in an everlasting kingdom. I mean, right there in the middle of the New Testament, so to speak, part of Isaiah 52, 53, right? The fourth of the suffering servant songs, the servant songs, the suffering servant song. So if you want the indispensable guide to the Bible, start reading Isaiah as I'm preaching through it this year. Don't just hear me talk about it for a few minutes on Sunday morning. Be in Isaiah, and you'll get supplementation from our Bible studies we're doing right now, too. Um, Isaiah is unsurpassed, unsurpassed in the Old Testament scripture for great prophetic visions and burst of gospel hope. The book of Isaiah talks more and teaches us more about God and his holiness than any other book in the Old Testament, arguably than any other book in the Bible itself. Isaiah foretells with great detail the New Testament, the person and the work of Jesus Christ from his birth and the way he's born to a young maiden, a virgin, and somehow he's Emmanuel, God with us, all the way through his death, his resurrection, and what is to come. Isaiah is talking to you about what is out there, the end times, tribulation, millennium. You interested in any of that? Isaiah, it doesn't get any better. Isaiah reverberates through, is constantly echoed through the New Testament, all the way through, yes, especially the book of Revelation. The central themes of Isaiah on God's holiness and God's glory. I've talked about before. You'll keep hearing this from me. Um, of the 32 times in the Old Testament that the, that the phrase, the Holy One of Israel or the Holy One of Jacob is used, of the 32 times, 26 are in the book of Isaiah. And on top of that, by the way, in 2 Kings, when the Holy One of Israel is mentioned, guess whose lips are proclaiming it? Isaiah in 2 Kings. So, uh, there's no other prophet, there's no other writer in the Bible who is so focused on who God is as the Holy One. And the Holy One who is not only 
transcendent but also imminent because he's the Holy One of Israel. Remember? Holy One of Israel. Who, the Holy One who's totally above us, who nevertheless aligns himself with a people, a covenant people. Um, the full sweep of biblical theology in Isaiah, you get it all. There is no better guide to the Bible than Isaiah. Speaking about God's greatness, about righteousness, about sin and judgment on sin, God's mercy, God's grace, the call to servanthood for Isaiah, the ultimate servant who is our savior, the one who is the true son of David, and for God's people for us now. You're called to be a servant of God. Why are you here? Why did God save you? To serve him and to glorify him. Um, but that gets us back to probably where a lot of us would be, which is what I started with. Well, what about salvation? Isaiah, without question, I believe I could address you in five minutes of debate on this, if you really want to debate on this, is the fullest, most extensive, and deepest exposition of that central passage from the book of Jonah, Jonah 2.9, as well as Psalm 3.8. Salvation is of the Lord. In Psalm 3.8, it's salvation belongs to the Lord. In other words, salvation is God's to give. And the way you're saved has nothing to do with you. It comes from God. Isaiah, in 66 chapters, develops that theme incredibly beautifully. If you miss that, you really haven't been hearing the word of Christ in Isaiah. So... Uh, let me give you another example of how, how obvious this is. The primary Hebrew words for salvation, Yeshua, Teshua, appear 38 times in all the prophets. Did you hear me? 38 times in all the prophets. Isaiah 28 of the 38. <laughs> if you want to learn about salvation, guess which prophet you need to be, read most centrally? Isaiah. Remember, Yeshayahu, his very name means the Lord is salvation. Yeshayahu, Isaiah, Isaiah means the Lord is salvation. And Isaiah, more clearly than any other prophet, hands down, says that this salvation message is not only for the remnant, the faithful remnant of Israel, but also for all the nations, for the Gentiles. It's incredible. This is, this is 700 years before Jesus comes. And of course, Isaiah not only talks about the first coming of Jesus, but also prophesies in detail the second coming of Jesus. Indispensable guy. Introducing our true future, including the Messiah's defeat of Satan. We've already looked at that at Wednesday night Bible study. You know what I'm talking about, as well as the new heaven and the new earth. New heaven, new earth. Yeah, Revelation picks back on, but where did that come from? Was that anywhere else in the Bible? Guess where it was. Guess who introduces that? Isaiah. The indispensable guide to the Bible. Isaiah has more to say about God's greatness and glory and the stunning way that greatness and glory is delivered to us in the Messiah. So, which prophetic book is quoted in the first chapter and fairly extensively of all four of the New Testament Gospels? Guess. I'm really giving you easy questions today, right? I, 
Isaiah. Uh, Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Which prophet? Who's the prophet par excellence? Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Wait a minute. The Messiah? Somebody descended from David is also going to be God? And God with us? Yes. Which means God with us. God promises through Isaiah to give a sign. Human child born of the young maiden, the virgin, who's going to be the royal son, the prince in the line of the servant David, the root of David, Isaiah 11, that's where that comes from, but who is also divine, the incarnation. For to us, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this day forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly troops, will accomplish this. That's... Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. But remember, like I said, back up in verse 1, second part, in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Remember those tribes up north around the Sea of Galilee? But in the latter time, he, the Lord, has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah. Um, in Jesus' famous, it's not necessarily the first sermon he preaches, but it is his inaugural message about why he is here and what his first coming is about. Guess to which prophet Jesus turns? Can anybody dare to take a guess? Luke. Let me go first to John the Baptist, though. John the Baptist, right? Making the way for Jesus. Where's that come from? Well, it's when you turn the page, right, right? To the New Testament part of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. And, and then all of a sudden we get this one who is making the way for the arm of the Lord to be revealed. The Lord's going to come. And here we get it. Luke 3, 1 through 6. In the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, Luke wants to make it very clear, you know exactly what's going on here in the 20s AD. You know you're dealing with specific history here. The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written, verse 4, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the indispensable Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh, did you catch that? Not just Israel. All flesh shall see the salvation of 
God, salvation belongs to the Lord. He's, he's directly quoting Isaiah 40. Did you catch that? It's all there. So back to what I was starting to say. So then we have Jesus being baptized by John, the temptation in the wilderness, the desert. And Jesus then emerges and is teaching in the synagogues, and he arrives in his hometown of Nazareth, Luke 4, 16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he took and he stood up to read. Isn't that a good thing? Jesus went to church on the Lord's day, right? So there he is in the synagogue. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him by the providence of God. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Isaiah 61, obviously based on what I've just told you, with 52 and 53 being the pivot, right, in the second part of Isaiah, you know that when you get to the 60s, you're talking about big things about the Lord's coming. So here we have it. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2a. And Jesus is going to throw in a phrase from Isaiah 58, 6 for emphasis on the release from captivity. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, I'm the Mashiach, I'm the Messiah, I'm the anointed one, Jesus is saying. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's the Isaiah 58, 6 little piece there. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus just stopped in the middle of verse 2. There's a lot more to this passage. Exactly. That's the second coming. I mean, you have to understand Isaiah to understand anything about Jesus' ministry and what's going on in the New Testament and what is to come. So he stops right there, verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll. He stops at the Jubilee year fulfillment in himself because that's the first coming. Salvation and freedom. When Jesus comes again, we get to the next part of the verse about the vengeance and justice of the Lord. But that's not the first coming. Jesus is going to take that on to himself on the cross. Okay? And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, Luke 4. And he began to say to them, today, today. Now, I'm here. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Lord's salvation through the Messiah foretold in Isaiah 61 now. And the Jubilee year, everything's restored. New start, total new start. Do not go on and read 61 verse 2b. You'll hear that when he comes back, and he is coming back. And the day of vengeance of our God. Well, there's a whole lot in here. Maybe we'll get to it as we move through the series. Um, Christ died for our sins. 
Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, saw Jesus' glory. John 12. It's all there. And so what I want to invite you to do as we move through this series, and as I kind of come back and do the second introduction to Isaiah today, in a couple months of introduction, is to commend to you the indispensable book. Yes, the whole thing, but right in the middle, the 66 chapter guide that you need to know, to know God, to know Jesus, to know what he has done for you and what's coming and to hear directly from God himself that you and your children might have this peace which he offers to give to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.